Thank you for listening to the Love Your Bod Pod. Before we dive in, just my usual disclaimer that this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only and does not substitute individual, professional, medical, or mental health advice. Welcome back to the Love Your Bod Pod. I'm your host, Kara Crincefelli, certified holistic health coach. And I help human beings transform their relationships with food and their body so they can stop thinking about food all day long and eating can be easy and fun and no big deal. And I help them transform their relationships to their bodies and their self-esteem and their self-worth and how they view themselves so that they can be more confident and fully self-expressed and create an amazing life that they love. And I'm so grateful for this work. Oh my gosh, so, so grateful. So just two days ago, I had a full day of coaching calls. Um, I didn't have the space for any other work. So no cookbook work, no time to be on Instagram, and no podcast work either. And it was just back-to-back coaching calls. And by the end of the day, I was exhausted, but in the best way, in this like very fulfilled way of just like, wow, I love this work. I love helping people transform their relationships with food I love to get to show up in the world this way and be a contribution this way and be of service this way and I love that they trust me enough to share their lives with me and that I get to hold space for them um I'm so grateful for this work I just want to do more of it um so yes thank you for spending time with me today on the podcast and if you're a past client or a current client just know that I am so grateful for you and letting me be a part of your journey Also, thank you to those of you who have recently left podcast reviews. Uh, I love reading them. They really mean a lot to me. It lets me know that you're listening and that you're enjoying this and that it's helping you. And it also helps the podcast reach more people because it tells iTunes that this is valuable and so it like pushes it up on the list. So please, pretty please, if you're liking this, if you've gotten something out of it and you have an iPhone, uh, please go leave a ratings and review. And I want to read to you a recent one. And it's actually from one of my one-on-one clients. And I had no idea she was going to write this review. And when I read it, it really touched my heart. And so let's get into it. It says, it's called A Dose of Self-Care. And it's by Sam Leonard. And it says, I absolutely love this podcast. Kara's insights and the guests she brings on remind me that I am not alone in the struggle with food in my body. Working with Kara one-on-one has been such a priceless experience, and this podcast serves as a great dose of self-care in between sessions and keeps my thoughts shifting towards self-compassion instead of self-hate. Kara is such a light in this world. I would recommend this podcast to anyone interested in honoring themselves. So Sam, girl, thank you. Like, I'm so, I'm... I'm I don't know I'm like speechless I just want you to know how much it means to me thank you not only for writing a review on the pod and for letting people know that it's helping you and that it can help them but also for sharing that you've worked with me and that it's been a priceless experience that's just all that I would ever want to hear so and P.S. Sam is amazing. I definitely want to share some love back at her. She recently published a book called Groomed. It was not your fault. A survivor's voice on childhood sexual assault. So she is a survivor. And she courageously and vulnerably and bravely shared her story in an incredible book. And if you're interested in reading the book or learning about it, uh, I will leave the link in the show notes on, on uh, iTunes. If you don't have an iPhone and you want the link DM me on Instagram. I'll make sure to give it to you. But if you're someone who's gone through something similar, uh, this would be an incredible resource for you. And Sam, thank you for writing this review. If you are interested in 
working with me one-on-one, I'd love to hop on the phone with you and have a discovery call. You just go to kitchen.net forward slash apply. Kara with a C, kitchen with a K, dot net forward slash apply. If your application is accepted, we'll hop on the phone and we'll have an amazing conversation. And whether or not you decide to work with me, my goal is always for you to walk away with value, with some new insights, with some more clarity, with more awareness, uh, so that you can continue on the healing or start the healing. So if I think we're a good fit, I'll let you know and we can talk about working together. And then if not, no worries. That call is my gift to you. So if you're interested at all, kitchen.net forward slash apply. Okay, let's get into today's interview. It is with Bree Shook. And she is the very first health coach I ever discovered online who was helping women heal their relationships with food in their body. So over a year ago, a little over a year ago, I found her on like Instagram or maybe I was Googling around and I loved her website and I loved what she was doing on Instagram. And so I DM'd her and was like, hi, I'm just starting a health coaching business. I don't even think I had a website up yet or maybe I did, but it wasn't done or I'm not exactly, exactly sure of the timeline. But I was like, hey, love what you're doing. I want to do the same thing. Can we get on the phone? And we hopped on the phone. We had this amazing conversation. We've done some Instagram lives together and we've just stayed friends and She's incredible and I'm so excited to have her on the podcast today. I think you're going to love her and learn a lot from her and relate to her. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. Welcome back to the Love Your Bod Pod. Today we have a really awesome guest with us. Her name is Bree and she's a holistic health coach who helps people heal their relationships with food. She created her 30-day online course, Food Freedom, and is the author of two ebooks, The Binge-Free Roadmap and The Anti-Diet Survival Guide. She loves to cook and lives in New Jersey with her Italian boyfriend, Michelangelo. So yes, she does spend her weekends drinking homemade wine and eating insanely incredible pizza. Bree, welcome to the show. Yeah, I have to admit that's not every weekend, but I like to throw it in there because it's pretty true. We do eat really amazing food all the time. (laughs) So is it like he's a fabulous cook, you're a fabulous cook, the family's a fabulous cook? Um, The entire family absolutely loves food. Mick does not love to cook. I do all of the cooking, but he loves to eat, so it all works out. Nice, nice. Badass. (laughs) Thank you for being here today. Um, I wish you could virtually send me some homemade wine because I would totally have a glass at 11 a.m. So <laughs> yeah. Well, it's two o'clock here. So, you know, oh, close, closer to five. It's almost acceptable. It is. <laughs> it's totally acceptable. Okay. Uh, let's dive into the questions. One of my favorite quotes is, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backward. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever. This approach has never let me down and it has made all of the difference in my life. And that's by Steve Jobs. So Bree, can you connect the dots for us? What led you to where you are now doing the incredible work you're doing? Thank you so much for having me on the show. And that quote is so amazing. Something that really stuck out from that quote was that it's about personal growth and self-awareness. And that's what recovery and food freedom is all about. And people ask me all the time, like how to overcome fear. And it's all about like finding that trust. So I'm definitely with Steve Jobs on that one. Um, And what led me here had so much to do with my childhood. And I'm going to kind of talk about like specifically my childhood and my experience in college, because those are the two things that really shaped my relationship with food and how I got here. Um, So 
when I was in second grade, my parents got divorced and that was really the start of my eating disorder or what I like to call my messy relationship with food because I think sometimes it's more approachable. I didn't always realize that I had an eating disorder, but if you can relate to having a messy relationship with food, sometimes you feel like, okay, then maybe I can get help because it can kind of be a scary word. At least it was for me. So what happened was my mom and dad got divorced, like I said, and my mom was really into natural foods. And like she raised me on organic baby food. We had whole wheat bread in the house instead of white bread. Like we didn't drink soda. My mom cooked all the time. We had so many fruits and vegetables. Like it was just a healthy ha uh, household. And then my dad was basically what I like to call a fast food junkie. And he had all the fun foods. So it was such different households. And right away, I started learning this difference between healthy and unhealthy food. And I started labeling foods as good and bad. So that was like before middle school, I started knowing what different diets looked like. And I started having guilt and shame around food, which is crazy because you're so young. But I feel like a lot of the times that's where it starts. It starts before you even realize that diet culture is there. So because of everything that was going on with my parents, it was really, really, really hard. But shout out to my mom because she seriously did an amazing job raising me. And it's not her fault. Like she's the reason I was able to overcome all of this in the first place. And she really gave me a great foundation that I was able to heal my relationship with Hudan in the end. But you know, eating disorders are a mental health issue. And if there's any trauma in your life or if you're struggling with any area of your mental health, um, it's really important that you learn how to help yourself and it's not your fault and you know we're, we've all gone gone through so much so even more than i'll even talk about today but trauma mm -hmm. was a really big thing <laughs> that i struggled with and you know then seeing diet culture and having the desire to be thin just really made everything so much worse and i didn't handle the divorce well um, but just before middle school, I struggled with binge eating disorder and no one knew. I can remember really vividly sitting at my dad's kitchen island and having breakfast. He had this cabinet that was filled with all of these amazing, amazing sugary cereals that my mom never allowed me to have. And he had whole milk, which was so much better than the watery, like 1% milk that my mom used to have. Um, so I used to go crazy on it. Like I went ham. Um, as a little girl, I could eat at least like three huge bowls of cereal, and it was just not out of like, oh my gosh, I love this cereal. It was just like, I felt alone. Like everyone was paying attention to something else at my dad's house, and I was going through an incredibly tough situation with my parents, and anytime I was at my dad's house, I really just felt alone. Um, but there was unlimited cereal in front of me, and that's what I had, and I wanted to have fun, and I wanted to escape, and... I used cereal as an escape to get out of that situation. Um, and eventually, you know, I was so full of cereal that I would give up and try to occupy my mind by doing something else. But I just hated that feeling of being alone. And it was so isolating. And it still kind of like rocks me to my core when I think about those moments. Um, and then to make it even more complicated with the binge eating, my mom and I used to have these like mommy daughter nights where we'd go to the grocery store and get junk food and then watch TV and eat it on the couch. And it was the only time that we ever really ate unhealthy foods. And we got like all the things all at once. And it was really a treat to eat these kinds of foods. And it was a big deal. It was like, here are all the junk foods, like 
we can't eat them all the time, but we're going to have them all right now. And then we're not going to have them again. So like you learn as you're younger to like binge on sugar and junk foods that like you really shouldn't have, but like when you have them, you go crazy around them. So that was kind of this foundation that I had for binge eating that carried with me as I was younger. Um, and like my dad would take me to McDonald's and I didn't know what to order. I would try to be healthy and order a salad. But when I saw everybody else eating like burgers and fries, I felt restricted. So it was in this binge restrict cycle. And I was, you know, like in middle school. And then eventually I stopped staying at my dad's house so often. And I was better able to have, you know, my own choices. And it wasn't so hard because I wasn't constantly going from like different households. But I wanted to be healthy and I wanted to take care of myself. But I knew that there was this difference between unhealthy and, and healthy foods, but I still enjoyed unhealthy food. So that really was like a big trigger for me to really go into this cycle of binging and restricting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then when did kind of like the, the orthorexia piece come into play? So when I was in college, um, it was an experience for me to say the least, but uh, I dormed my freshman year. And then I commuted sophomore, junior, and senior year. And I was always incredibly unhappy with my body. My stepsister was naturally thinner and she could, you know, eat when she was hungry and stop when she was full. And for me, I could be eating the same food as her, finish my entire plate when she stopped like halfway through. And I would, you know, want to go out for ice cream. Like I didn't understand how people could listen to their bodies and eat intuitively. And I used to be so upset with my body for doing that. Like I remember like being in the shower and crying, like thinking like, okay, I'll just swear off cookies. Like that's it. Like I just won't eat them anymore so that I can love my body. Like I thought it was just me eating too much, like not knowing like how to eat. Like I thought I just was missing something. So when I was in college and I started gaining weight freshman year, like the normal thing where you're drinking too much and you're eating bad foods and all that kind of stuff. Um, at the end of freshman year, I got kind of sick of it. So I said, I'm going to get healthy and I'm not going to do this to myself. I'm not going to feel like this anymore where I don't feel in control of my food. So sophomore year, when I decided to commute, it changed my world because I had so much time to myself and I wasn't Mm -hmm. in the same environment in college anymore. And I decided to just go all in and research health and weight loss and nutrition. And I started just getting on this dieting roller coaster again, but I didn't realize it at the time that like after my college experience that this would become an eating disorder. But I started with eating clean and counting calories and doing the, if it fit your, fits your macros kind of thing. I like lived by that for so long. Mm-hmm. I started running. I got into yoga. Like honestly, the beginning of it was really awesome. And I can't like say that enough because that's what fueled me to keep going. Like it felt good to be able to do pull-ups and run and like do handstands. Like I could walk on my hands for a really long distance. And like, that was all stuff that I was so proud of myself for working so hard and being able to do things that like I always wanted to do. Yeah. But it just became this like out of control habit where I started just restricting more and restricting more and restricting more. I was really into low carb, paleo, and uh, even ketogenic for a while, and that really taught me how to how to restrict really well and how to restrict 
quote unquote, for health reasons, which it did make me feel good a little bit. But the end result of all of that was just so overwhelmingly negative. And that's how I ended up with orthorexia. And basically, it was just me going to like I would go to family parties. I would go to, out to eat with my family. I would go on vacations and I wouldn't know how to eat. I was paralyzed. I couldn't make choices. I felt like like when I had no control over my food that I had no control over my life. And it was so, it was just, it was just so hard to live that way. And that's when I started understanding that I hadn't just, you know, created a healthy lifestyle. Like I thought I created, I was struggling with an eating disorder and Honestly, thank you to binges. I thought I would never say that in my life, but had it not been for the fact that I'd restricting so much that I restricting so much that I binged that I like was able to actually pull myself out of this. Like had I kept going and not started binging, like I wouldn't have realized that something was wrong. Like the binges woke me up because I couldn't ignore them anymore. And they told me like you have to do something about this. Like you cannot keep doing this to yourself. You have to eat more food. Your body is literally taking over your subconscious mind and making you eat because you're not eating. And that changed my life. So I had already gone through binge eating when I was younger. And that just like came full circle. And I was like, how did I come so far to lose it all to be back in the same feelings of when I was younger feeling stuck? And that was horrible feeling to be in. And that's why like, I'm actually here now because I was able to get out of that situation. And now I want to teach people how I do that. And it's just such a amazing feeling to come from that and say, you know what, like I'm so much stronger than that eating disorder was. And you know, you can overcome anything after that. Yeah. Yeah. You said a lot of really potent things. You kind of had said how these, these like diets for the pursuit of health sake basically taught you how to restrict, Mm -hmm. um, which is so potent. Like everyone listening, please just let that sink in for a second here about how all of these diets that for some people might be very healthy, but for a lot of us, they just teach us how to restrict and they teach us to be afraid of foods that don't fit into the diets. And then you had said how you were pursuing health and you really thought that this was about health. And had you not rebounded into binge eating, you might still be stuck in the disordered, the disorder. It was actually the binges and maybe partly, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that might've been out of fear of gaining massive amounts of weight perhaps, but it was the binges that you were like, this isn't working. How do I stop binging? And eventually you were like, well, I, I'm, I got to stop restricting. Right. No, that's so true. That's exactly what was going on. Talk to us a little bit more about your, your body image. And also, how long do you think you were dealing with disordered eating? It sounds like it started when you were like not even a teenager. Right. Yeah. So the eating disorder stuff definitely started way before I ever really considered myself to be, you know, a dieter. So it was, it was years. Like I've been doing this my, pretty much my entire life ever since I knew how to have a relationship with food. It's been pretty much disordered. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah. So I had such a horrible relationship with my stomach in particular. Like that was always the part of my body that I absolutely resented. My mom's side of the family, we even did this horrible thing where we called it the Murphy belly because my mom's a Murphy and like everybody on that side of the family called it a Murphy belly. So you grew up like knowing that like you were predisposed to having this 
belly that you were going to hate for the rest of your life. So I guess like even before I had a belly, like you, <laughs> you were like, like a <laughs> it's crazy. Um, and I don't think it's obviously like a murky belly. Like it's something that people experience just where you gain weight. Like some people gain weight there. It's just what happens. And it was like this horrible thing where I was always self, self, so self-conscious of. And yeah, like I would compare myself to my sister. I would like look at other people, especially like when I would try on clothes. I remember my mom brought me to the mall and I was so self-conscious of my body and I would cry in the dressing room because nothing would fit how I wanted it to fit. Like nothing, like my body did not look like how I expected my body to in clothes. And like, it was just like a torturous activity to go shopping. And I would refuse to wear certain clothing and I would hate trying on bathing suits. Like everything was just filled with so much shame and resentment towards myself. It was such an unhealthy feeling. And my mom would always tell me when you get older, it's going to be different. You're going to grow up. It's going to, you know, you're going to even out, like everything's going to be okay. You know, you're so beautiful. Why do you, why do you do this to yourself? And and I couldn't help it. I just couldn't see it. And, you know, it did help. I did go through high school and I went through a growth spurt and my body image changed a lot. I did a lot of sports, um, but it didn't change enough. I never found that love for myself that I should have found. And like, not even just the belly, like I didn't get my period until I was 16. So I used to get like made fun of, I guess, kind of lovingly, as lovingly as it can be from your friends. But like, oh, you don't have boobs, you don't have a butt. And it's like, Bree's just, you know, like, she's like so flat. And it's like, I don't know, like, I couldn't do anything about it. And I didn't hit puberty. I didn't like get my curves until I was in college. And it made like a really long lasting impression where I was always worried about some piece of my body not being good enough, not going up, not being worth anyone else's or not meeting anyone's expectations or standards that I thought it should. Yeah. Oh God, I can so relate. In my family, we have Kittle thighs because my mom's maiden name is Kittle and we're just like, <laughs> I just have that God awful cottage cheese legs. Oh my God. So I so get the Murphy belly because we had the kittle thighs. Shout out, mom, what's up? Um, and then how you were kind of like teased, even if it wasn't meaning to be harsh, but you just had so much attention given to your body and these parts that like, by the way, like I'm still waiting for my boobs to come in. Like they haven't ever come in. Right. And I just remember the same thing. Like your mom saying like you'd grow up and you would fill out and all of those things. And like, I remember for years, my mom telling me like, Oh, I didn't get boobs. So I was 22. Just wait until you're 22 and they'll come. And I remember on my 22nd birthday, I was like, yes, this is the year. Like, yes, I'm, you know, and like, they still like, I still don't have any boobs. So I've just given up because I've embraced my body, but it's like, you know, we are so conditioned as women to be like, this is what you're supposed to, to look like. And right. And like when your body doesn't look that way, when your body doesn't fit those things, and then everybody's commenting on it, like, oh my God, of course we're self-conscious about it. Of course we think that everyone is looking at us and comparing us and sizing us up because they're letting us know that they actually are. Right. So of course we all feel this way. Because it is actually happening. It's not in anyone's head, you know? Yeah. 
And that's why gaining weight was so, is so hard when people think of like, okay, I'm going to recover. Like I'm going to not restrict anymore. They're like, oh my God, but my body, oh my God, but I'm going to get huge. But oh my God, I'm going to lose control over absolutely everything that I ever worked for. And it's going to be horrible and I'm going to gain so much weight and it's never going to stop and my life's going to be over. It's like this downward spiral because it's so deeply connected to the shame that we felt of why we got into dieting into this mess in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yours sounds very similar to mine in the fact that it was a coping mechanism. So for you, like binging on the cereal when you were a child was a coping mechanism for all of the other things. And then it sounds like later in life, it became more about like health and fitness and wanting to look good. And I think that mine was so about wanting to look good, but it was also such a coping mechanism, like, oh, just to check out, right? Like to not be with all of the uncomfortable shit, I could just like eat all the food, you know, and numb out. Yeah, no, I mean, it definitely can be both. I think for so many people, it's like, you're trying to figure out that one reason for why it's always happening, but there's like not one reason. There are so many reasons why you're using food this way or why it's getting out of hand or why your relationship with food is like a total mess right now. And it changes every day. Like you, you, like food is such a deep part of your life. Like you eat every day, multiple times a day. So the fact that like, you're trying to find one answer is just unrealistic. Like there are so many things that contribute to a relationship with food that's not working for you. So you have to really like say, okay, like how, what are all the ways that's like not working and how can I have a better relationship with food knowing that like I use it for emotions, that I use it because I want to look good, that I use it because I'm just like afraid of like not accepting myself. Like there's so many things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, we're looking for like one simple answer. So, and I'm sure you can relate to this, like as a health coach and someone who has an Instagram who is so accessible to people and people will slide into our DMS and be like, how do I stop binge eating? Or like, how do I get over my eating disorder? Or like, do you have any tips for me? And I know that you want to help people and I want to help people. And I think one of the ways that we do that is we actually help people see how complex these issues are and we help them discover how all of the roles that food is playing in their life and uncover what is really beneath the surface, driving the behaviors with food. Cause we get so fixated on just making the food look good. And it's like, I read this quote in a book and it's like, if you want to change the fruit, you got to get to the roots. So if you want like the roots of the tree and it's like, if you want to change the food, you got to get to the roots, like what's underneath the ground, beneath the surface that you can't see deep within your heart and your mind and your soul, you know? I love that. I mean, when some when someone slides into my DMs, the first thing I do is, well, they ask me a question, of course. How do I stop binge eating? How do I like whatever it is? And the I don't answer that with an with a with an answer. I answer that with a question. I say, yeah. what do you think? What do you think is causing this? Why are you binging? And because because I have absolutely nothing to go on. No, nothing nothing that tells me that I have the answers. You have the answers. Like there's nothing that I will tell you that is going to be different from like what you already know. It's just like, I'm telling it in a different way that like actually makes you want to do something about it. That gives you like a little bit more power to like take back control from the food, but you have to do all the work. Like, you know why like, you know what your triggers are. Like, you know, what's causing that relationship with food to be disordered in the first place. And like, I will never be able to give you those answers. I can mm. help you find them, but I can never give them to you. Like, you have them. Mm. And well, how you help people. So, 
this is how I describe coaching. Coaching is actually just asking the right questions. Right. Obviously there are more that goes on and there's more to it, but this is a huge component of it. So like the way that we help them find the answers, because if they truly like, because they're like, I don't even know where to start looking. The way that they start looking is you start asking them questions, clarifying questions, questions that actually help them dig deep and be like, wow, I've never actually thought of the answer to that question. And it's like, well, there's probably an access point to food freedom within the answer to that question. And so my job as a coach, your job as a coach is to ask the right questions so that they can actually look in places where they haven't ever looked before. It's actually through the questions that clarity arises, freedom arises, you know? Exactly. I think too, like people reach out to you because they want to feel that connection, like someone else has gone through it and they're okay. Like they're seeking validation. They're seeking support, but not just support as in like, tell me what to do, but like, tell me that what I'm doing is, is normal, that I'm not some crazy person that I feel like I am because it's so easy to feel crazy and out of control and lost and stuck. And when you hear like someone else feeling the same things, you're like, okay, then it can't really be that I'm lost and crazy and stuck. It's just that I'm in a weird place right now. And obviously I can get out of it if they did. So I think that's hugely important. Like I'm always telling people, you know, my story or telling them, obviously not the story I shared because that was super long before, but the story just of like, you know, this is one piece of what you're going through that I've actually been through and experienced myself. And this is how I got out of it because storytelling is just so huge. If you can find yourself in my story, like then you can do anything because I did it. That means you can do it. Like there's no reason that you can't do it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's good to know we're not alone because eating disorders are extremely isolating. And gosh, there are so many things that you can do when you're struggling with food that like you don't want anyone to know about because you're like, oh my God, what's wrong with me? Um, But chances are like there's probably so many people who are currently doing them at the exact same time or have done them like you and me included. But yeah, like you're so not alone. And I think trying to explain what you're going through to someone who's never gone through it is really hard. Yeah. People can't relate. You know, like my mom will even tell me now, she's just like, I can't believe that someone would throw up food. I can't believe that you did that. And I'm like, oh, well, let me tell you, okay? (laughs) You know, so trying to explain it to someone who's never been through it is hard. So I think that you're right. You really hit, you hit on something right there. That there is something really comforting about being like, wow, this person isn't going to think that I'm weird because they've done the same thing. They're going to relate to me. They're going to have empathy and compassion and be able to hold space for me because they've been there, you know? Yeah, exactly. All right. So what were some of the integral parts of your recovery journey? What helped you get to where you are now? And like, did you seek professional help? Did you have an alarm bo- alarm bell moment, light bulb moment? Like, how did that all unfold? Obviously, the binging was kind of an alarm bell, but. Right. So one thing that actually really helped me, things that this isn't necessarily something that anyone else can do, but when I was younger, my mom put me in therapy as I was going through the divorce process. I had experienced some sexual abuse as well when I was really young. So that was like just a huge piece of the puzzle, like going into therapy at that time. Like, thank you, mom. It gave me the tools to be able to communicate with myself and communicate my thoughts and not keep it all inside. So I was armed with that when I was younger to be able to use that tool again 
when I found myself in the struggle with eating disorders. So that actually helped me a lot, like seeking professional help at that age. Like obviously I didn't seek it. Like my mom had done that for me. Um, so I would, so I haven't been into like a professional, I haven't gotten professional help since then, but I did have that in my life. So if you need it, like I'm 100% an advocate for it. Not even that, like if you need it, but if you want it, if you feel like you should, like there's no reason for you to ever deny yourself like professional help, like talking to somebody who knows what they're doing, that is always acceptable. That is always welcomed. Like never feel shame for that. Um, So definitely that. But when I was struggling, like I didn't get professional help. Some things that helped me were just talking about it though. Like I finally broke down and I actually opened up with my boyfriend. He was the first person that I talked to about the binges. Um, I remember the conversation. I was downstairs. I had just like eaten, I think like a, like a huge container of ice cream. And I called him because I was so miserable. And I let him know. I was like, Mick, I have been you know, really having a hard time with food. And I've never told you this before. And because he was away, I lived in Connecticut at the time and he lived in New Jersey where I live with him now, but mm-hmm. he had no idea what was going on. And I just made a decision like, you know what, I'm going to talk to him about it. I'm not going to deal with this alone anymore. So I started opening up. Communication was absolutely huge for me. Um, now, I literally yesterday, you know, was talking about being on this podcast and I was talking to his mom about everything that I'd gone through. Like I have absolutely no problem talking about my story. Like Instagram has been a huge help for me because I've been able to open up about absolutely everything. Like I feel like I don't have any secrets anymore, like at all in the universe. It's kind of crazy. Um, just so talking about it in any way that you can, even if it's just talking about it with yourself, because like I've journaled, I, you know, I just, you know, would think like, and work through my emotions. I don't think anyone gives that enough credit anymore. Like you have to sit down quiet time, like wherever you can and just process things like what's going on. How am I feeling? What's not working? What's working? and help yourself out. We have so much power than we think we do to really work through things, but we don't give ourselves the opportunity. We're on our phone, we're on our computer, we're distracting ourselves, we're going out with friends instead when we're feeling miserable that like we're not doing anything about it. But you need to be honest with yourself. You need to have communication with yourself. And then if you can reach out to other people, um, that's huge. So that has a lot to do with like personal growth and self-awareness. And it's hard. It's a, It can be a learned skill. So sometimes you have to you know, figure out how to do that, whether it's like listening to podcasts, reading books, you know, talking with people on Instagram, listening to other, like whatever it is, like you need to figure out a way to help yourself. And then just the last thing I guess would be time. Like it took me so long to be able to do this. Like I've been having, having this battle with myself, with my food, with my body image, with exercise since I was young, like super young. Like I, told you my story about this all starting when my parents got divorced in second grade. Like this was elementary school crap that I brought with me like into my life after college. Like that's crazy. So it takes time. Like there's no limit where it's like, this is how long it's supposed to take. I get that question all the time from people. How long does it take to recover? I don't know. I don't have an answer for you when you're ready. Yeah. So just be patient, patience and time and just keeping you know, keep practicing. Those are huge parts of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think opening up, uh, talking about it is huge. Like I know for me, 
just finally being like, oh my God, I'm dealing with this behind closed doors is really challenging. And I'm kind of torn. I'm kind of torn. So you had opened up first to your boyfriend and I imagine he was supportive and wanted to help you. Did you ever share about it with the therapist you worked with or no? The no, I only worked with that therapist when I was, when I was in, I guess it was like when I was in third grade, probably that I saw the therapist or okay. fourth grade. Um, and at that time I had no idea that anything was like, you could talk about food like that. I didn't even right. know I was using food that way. Right. You didn't have the awareness or the language. Yeah. I so get that. So I had, um, another podcast interviewee who said they recommend opening up to someone, but not someone who could have potentially been involved or could have potentially contributed to your relationship with food, or even maybe someone who's like, who's not like a third party, not involved person. They only recommended you speak to like a non-involved third party person. They didn't recommend opening up to someone in your personal life. And for you, you opened up to someone in your personal life and that worked really well for you. And I know that I do think that you can open up to people in your personal life and that be really helpful and beneficial and therapeutic. And also in my own story, the very first people that I told that I was struggling were my parents and they both told me that it wasn't a big deal and that I should get over it and all women worry about their weight. And so I spent another like, you know, four, another like five years struggling because I opened up and was like, I want to go to rehab. I have a problem. And they both were like, oh, you'll be fine. Like, you know, my, my dad was like, oh, it's just because you have too many girl roommates. Why don't you try to find some guys to live with? Like that was their solution. And my mom was like, oh, get over it. All girls worry about their weight. Like that was my mom's response. And so to an extent, I also agree with, it was Dana Monsies who said this to an extent don't open up to people who could have potentially contributed to your disorder because they're, who knows what their fucking response would be. So it's like, had I actually opened up to like maybe a friend and not my parents, the, maybe I would have actually gotten help when the first time I asked and not spent another, you know, five years struggling or however long it was, I'd have to do the math, but you know, so I think it's just opening up to someone you trust. And then like, if the first person shuts you down, find another person, you know, Right. Why, why? I'm just curious. Like I didn't choose my mom or my dad to talk to. Why did you choose your parents? Cause I feel like that, like, I'm just curious because then I'll like tell you why I chose my boyfriend, I guess. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's such a great question. Um, I mean, I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know who else to turn to. Instagram like wasn't a thing. This was over 10 years ago. The first time that I had asked for help. So Instagram wasn't a thing. Podcasts weren't a thing. And I didn't know any modalities except rehab. I didn't even like know eating disorder therapists were a thing yet. You know, I was like 18 or 19 years old and I didn't know where else to turn to. (laughs) And like, I wanted to go to rehab. Like I, that shit ain't free. (laughs) Right, 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 right. No, that's a great reason. I (laughs) I was like, yo, I need fucking help. (laughs) No, I love that. That's absolutely, that makes so much sense. That's what I was thinking you were going with it, but I just yeah. wanted to see, cause I mean, I didn't open up to my parents because I didn't think my mom would understand. I didn't think that my dad would understand. I was afraid that like, if I open up to my grandparents or something who I was also close with, they would just sweep it under the rug because that's the way they treat things. They, a lot of the times it's like, oh wait, we have this family secret. Oh, it was under the rug the whole time. Oh, you put it there. Oh, like that's why I didn't know. So yeah. I decided not to tell people that I didn't think would be able to really help me. However, I had been, I, I've known my boyfriend my, almost my entire life. 
which is crazy. Like his family has known my family for forever. So I have, and he, we'd been dating for like six years at the time. And he had no idea like I was going through this, but we'd been dating for six years and he's my best friend in the whole world. Like that's how secretive eating disorders can be. Massive. Um, yeah. But I had opened up to him because there was no one in the entire world that I trusted more than him. And that's why I chose him. Like he, I would trust more <laughs> than like a therapist in a, in a crazy world, you know, like, like that, like, but it's what happens. Like that's my world. Like he is the person that I go to for everything. And mm-hmm. I felt completely comfortable and safe. And I knew that he would support me and he keeps secrets for me. And he is like the person that I would, you know, like he knows everything. So mm-hmm. it just felt very natural. And I don't think everyone has that situation where that, where they have a person like that at all, or that, you know, that it happens to be someone that's really close to them. But I think it's important that you choose the right people and that if somebody doesn't give you the help that you need, that you choose a professional who's completely unbiased or someone else who's completely unbiased who absolutely has no idea. You know, like I get all like messages on Instagram that are like, you're the first person I've ever told. And I'm like, good. good. Now, yeah. who else can you tell that will help you? Like, it doesn't have to be your parents. It doesn't have to be any, like, just tell somebody. So yeah, it's important that you make that decision for you because like you have to know your relationships. You have to have enough like self-awareness to say who will give me the best help in this position and what can I, what's the, what can I do? Like sometimes you have no other choice, but to, especially if you're young, like if you're listening to this and you're like 15 or 16 or whatever, and you don't have anyone else to tell, but your parents, like sometimes you have to make that choice to like open up anyways, like at least start talking about it, start doing something because obviously just staying where you are, isn't going to help the situation either. And you don't know unless you try sometimes. Yeah. 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 That thing reminds me of something that Brene Brown said in, in one of the books that I'm reading. I bought like five books on audio and I've just been listening to them while I'm writing my cookbook. And one of the things she said was that if you were to put shame in a Petri dish, like anything that you're shamed about and you put nothing on it, it just grows and grows and grows. Mm, But if you put shame in a Petri dish and you like share it with someone, you open up to someone, it starts to kill the shame. So if you're in shame about where you're at with your relationship with food in your body, keeping it to yourself is going to make the shame grow and grow. It's only going to make it worse. The sooner you open up and talk about what you're going through, the quicker you're going to heal. And like your path to healing is getting out of shame, right? It's talking about it. It's dealing with it. It's not hiding it, you know? So, so whoever you choose talking to someone, that was a huge part for me too. Like the second time, um, that I brought it up to someone. And also it sounds like for you opening up about it was, was a turning point for you. Yeah. Yeah. It was the biggest turning point that I had. It, it like took all of this, this fire that was like, I don't know, it like gave me my power back. Like it diffused the fire that was making it like, if you imagine like a wildfire, it's spreading so fast. It was like all of a sudden, like telling somebody was like the water being poured on that fire, slowing it down. Like it was still there, but it was, it didn't have that like crazy burning, like passion of like taking over everything. It, it was like, it calmed everything down, which was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's dive in a little bit. Something you talk about online quite a bit is your relationship with exercise. And I would love to chat a little bit about that, like how it was 
you know, how extreme was it? What was it like? And how were you able to have a, how were you able to transform your relationship with exercise to where it is now so that it's like nourishing and health helpful for you? Yeah. So my relationship with exercise was like kind of brief. It's kind of weird because I was always into sports when I was younger and like I played all the sports, you know, I did soccer, I did basketball, I did lacrosse, I cheerleader, I like did dance for a little bit. It was like, I did everything I could, but the things that stuck most were what I did in high school. I did two years of lacrosse and I did like four years of cheerleading in high school. Um, and I, so I was always kind of active. Like it was fine. Like I liked being outside. I like, I would go hiking with my mom. Like I, I was always, I was active. So that was like not anything abnormal. But then when I got into college and I started getting into health and fitness, I started running. I trained for five Ks. I did, um, you know, like five, six miles sometimes like running outside after class. I worked out at the gym all the time. Um, even when I started doing like internships and stuff, I would wake up early and I would go to the gym before work and then I would go to internships and then I would go to class. So it just was like, it was something I started to do more and more and more of as I started getting into health. The thing was, I never gave myself any breaks and I used exercise as another escape like I used food. Mm -hmm. And I used it to control my body and to control my food because I read online that like you can change the size of your body with food, but you can't change the shape of it unless you exercise. So like you have to build muscle if you want to like change what your body looks like, like the makeup of your body. So that's what, yeah, the composition. So I was really, I was really like set on like building muscle. So I wanted to work out, started getting into more weightlifting, like I could do pull-ups, like I got really strong, but then like I got injured because I would never feel my body enough for these workouts that I was doing and I would never give myself enough rest days. So I was overworking my body. I actually got plantar fasciitis. I don't even know if I'm saying it right, but I think it's that. But it's when you get inflamed above my pay grade, so. (laughs) It's basically the bottom of your foot has this band and the band gets inflamed and it gets all tight. So Mm -hmm. when you step, you literally pull this band apart on the bottom of your foot. Hurts so badly. I would wake up in the morning and I couldn't walk. I literally couldn't walk. I had to see doctors who, like I went to a couple different chiropractors. I went to a couple different doctors. They didn't know how to help me. I just had abused my body so badly that my body was like, no, you physically can't even walk anymore. You need to sit your ass down. And it was crazy. And because I injured myself so badly, I was forced to like not have this exercise addiction anymore that I had gotten so obsessed with. Like it's not like a real addiction, but you feel as though you can't live without exercising. Like I remember even one night I was laying in bed before I got injured and all that stuff. I was really into yoga and I was really into like doing these mini workouts before bed. I jumped out of bed. I tried to go to sleep without exercising. I jumped out of bed because I got so anxious that I was going to go to bed without exercising. And I started doing push-ups before I got back in my bed to go to sleep. Like wow. I was so obsessed with not like not missing a workout. And I thought that it would ruin my progress. Like how, you know, if you're on a really clean diet and you're like, okay, we're going to go out, we're going to get fast food. And then we're going to go for ice cream after and we're going to drink soda. Like if somebody had told you that, like, that's how I felt about missing a workout. Like it was just 
a part of my routine. And if my routine got messed up, I felt anxiety and stress and shame and guilt. And it's like, it totally takes over. Mm. Yeah. Super unhealthy relationship with exercise right there for sure. Yeah. And so how did it start to change and what is it like now? Um, so it really, everything changed when I got injured because I couldn't work out anymore. But once I started being able to like get back into workouts after that, obviously like I'm, I'm fine now. Thank goodness. Like it just took a while to heal because it was inflammation because I had pushed my body so far and so hard for so long that once I took a step back, if like finally healed and now, okay. And thank goodness I can like walk and do everything I want to now, which is amazing. But what happened was I tried to go back to the gym. I tried to continue to work out when I was trying to heal my relationship with food. I thought, you know, I still needed to maintain a smaller size because I was so afraid of losing weight. So afraid of gaining weight that I would, you know, try to still manipulate my body. And I would try to say, you know what, like if I'm going to binge, like then maybe I'll work out. Maybe I'll, you know, and I tried to go back to the gym, but it was so self-destructive. After taking that long break from exercise, I really realized how hard mentally and emotionally that was on me. And I couldn't be in the gym and work out the way I was without being so triggered and so anxious. So I just took a step back. I had to say for my own sanity for myself. It's not healthy for me to be in the gym right now. It's not healthy for me to be working out like I used to. So I gave up my gym membership. I like maybe did like a yoga video here and there, but I stopped. Like it was almost like cold turkey. Like I started to resent exercise for everything that had done to me. Um, Yeah. So it was kind of like I detox from exercise and that was a huge game changer and it helped me so much because I had so much more time to work on my relationship with food and so much more mental energy that I wasn't using to beat myself up at the gym. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I so got all of that. I think you said some pretty potent things there. But that last thing of just like you had more time because you weren't beating yourself up or you weren't like rearranging your schedule to fit a workout in, right? Like that would just eliminate so much extra pressure and stress and anxiety and fear and all of that stuff weighs on you, you know, and it's such a burden to bear and it takes up so much brain space. So I could see how you would have so much time for all these other things. So, all right. So recently you had this post on Instagram and you said that you can care about your body and still not diet. And this kind of makes me think of like, we associate eating nutrient dense foods or fruits and vegetables and exercise with weight loss. So it's like, if you're not trying to lose weight, why would you do those things? Or if you're not losing weight, why would you keep them up type of a thing? So can you elaborate for us? What do you mean when you say you can care about your body and still not diet? Right. So dieting is basically like an extreme and it's about micromanaging your food, micromanaging your body, micromanaging your weight, like all those kinds of things. And I think we think if we stop dieting that we're going to lose control. And like if we embrace a food freedom mentality or an intuitive eating mentality, that it's going to mean like indulging 24 seven, never eating healthy again, losing complete control over any kind of health that you had but it's not true. Like it's not about completely letting everything go and never eating vegetables again. Like your body, maybe if you've restricted for so long, like if you've restricted for so long, you are going to feel like if you let go of that, you're only going to want unhealthy foods. Like maybe that'll happen for a short period of time. Like it happened for me. Like I had to 
like heal from all of that restriction. And it meant like for me, binging, um, some people don't go through the binging process, but you know, you can go through emotional eating or overeating, whatever it is. But you think that like, you're going to spin out of control for forever, but it's not the case. You're going to learn how to take care of your body. And once you overcome the eating disorder, you realize that there's this world beyond food that's not all about like micromanaging food. Like it's about just saying like, okay, what do I want to eat? Am I going to eat? Like, does this food make me feel good? Oh, no. Okay. Well, I'm not going to, I'm going to eat a lot less of that. Oh, this food makes you feel awesome. I'm going to do that more often. Like, it's not that hard. We make it so complicated and we make it so extreme. And Mm -hmm. the idea that like, you don't have to be extreme. And if you let go of the diet, it doesn't mean that you're going to lose control. Mm, That's what the fear voice says. So our fear voice says that, and that's what keeps us stuck, by the way, is listening to that fear voice. And that fear voice isn't actually the real you. The real you is who overcomes that fear voice, right? And just lets the fear voice be there. And you're right. Like we, we do think that the opposite of trying to be in control is being crazy, crazy out of control. And it is to an extent, but it's in a different way. It's where like, you don't have to be in control. Like you just casually choose what feels good in each little moment, you know? Right. We make it, we, it's like a response to fear. It's our voice in our head from the eating disorder that tells us like, if you let go, like you're going to ruin everything. And it's like, don't listen to that voice. That voice got you into this mess in the first place. Like you need to listen to your own voice and you need to going back to your quote, like find some kind of way to trust the process. And it's scary, but if you can find that for yourself, it changes everything about recovering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, oh gosh, there's two people who are on the other side of it face the fear, yo, it's so worth it. You know, like it's so worth it. All right. One last question. Boo. Okay. So advice for your like 16 year old self. I would tell myself not to be afraid because you can figure everything out. Like you think that if you're stuck, you're going to be stuck forever. And because you haven't figured it out yet, that it's not possible, but it's just not true. One of my favorite things is by Marie Forleo. She says, everything is figure outable. And it's so true. Like you think that because you're stuck, you're never going to find a solution that gets you unstuck and gets you what you want. But you have to know that like other people have felt stuck. Like there are going to be times in the future where you feel stuck just because you felt stuck in the past. Like it doesn't mean that you aren't going to find your way. There are new things that happen every single day. You're going to gain more experiences. You're going to learn. You're going to keep growing. And if you think that like you're not going to, it's going to keep you stuck. And the very fear of being stuck is what's keeping you there. So I just would tell myself not to be afraid. Mm, mm. Yeah. Or just be afraid, but do it anyway. You know, right? that's what I always tell my, myself. Cause like, I'm like afraid all the time. I just don't let the fear stop me. You know, that's very true. That's probably more accurate way of putting it. It's like, how do you put the fear to the side so that you can do what you need to do to move forward? Because it's always worth it to move forward. And the fear just wants to keep you there. And you have to be like, no, no, I'm going to do what I want to do. Yeah. Like anytime, like I do something really vulnerable or like I put out a podcast that I think is kind of controversial. Like every time before I hit publish, I'll have like worst case scenario syndrome for like a minute or two. And then I'm like, you know what? hitting publish, you know, or like whatever it is. Cause it's like, I could sit there and let the fear run my life. But if I do that, I'm never going to live the life I want to live. I'm never going to show up the way I want to show up. 
I'm never going to make the difference I want to make if I continue to let that fear voice win every freaking time. And I don't think the goal is to be fearless because I don't think fearless exists. I just think you have fear, but you just do the shit anyways, you know? Absolutely. All right, Brie, this was amazing. You're incredible. I love you. Where can everyone find you? Thank you, Kara. You're incredible too. Um, you can find me at simplehealthyeats.com. That's my website. You can get everything from there. But of course, my favorite place where I'm all the time is Instagram at simplehealthyeats. Um, I'm always there on my stories. I'm posting every day. You can get my eBooks from there, my free resources. There's so much for you guys. So I would love if you came and hang out with me there. Yay. Thank you so much, Bree. Thank you, Kara. Wait, don't go yet. Was this episode helpful for you? If it was, then the most helpful thing you can do in return is to either leave a ratings and review on iTunes or to share it on your Instagram stories. You can take a screenshot of the pod and then post it and pretty, pretty please tag me. That would be incredible. All right. Thank you for tuning in and we'll see you all next week.